Turn with me to John chapter 12. Pick up with where we left off last week, John chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand, we can put one in your hands. Starting with verse 27. Jesus speaking, Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Oh, I can't wait for that day. When that happens, I'm with Jesus. And if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. The people answered him, We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? And who is the Son of Man? Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of of the light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Let's pray again. Father, we ask again for the help, for the ministry, for the presence, for the overflow of your Holy Spirit. I ask for your anointing. I ask for your strength. I ask for words that are not even prepared in preparation and prayer, but Lord, that you would quicken. As I read this morning, your word would run swiftly, powerfully, Lord, you'd speak to those online, those here. Our hearts would be soft. Our ears would be open. Lord, we would surrender more to you. And if someone here has never surrendered to you, today would be the day they come to the light of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 One thing is certain when it comes to those who were within earshot of Jesus. Wherever and whenever he spoke. They may not have understood everything he said. Even his disciples didn't understand everything he said. I've been saved for 27 years. I don't understand everything Jesus said. Neither do you. But there was always, wherever Jesus spoke, there was always more than enough that everyone could understand. Amen? And choose to respond with belief and surrender. And we have another certainty here in the passage and through the witness and life of Jesus. We may not understand all the reasons the Father ordained that Jesus must come during the time that he came. That he must be crucified, not some other form of death. That his blood had to be shed. 
that he must die in Jerusalem. That it had to be during the reign of Rome. Just to name a few. We may not understand why the death of Jesus had to be done exactly according to the requirements designed and given by God. But we can understand why Jesus came. Right? Even a child can understand why Jesus came. He was sent by the Father for us. Us! He was sent by the Father's will and plan to save sinners from eternal death. That's why Jesus came. If you're taking notes, you see the title. His express purpose. His primary purpose. Taking notes, the first thing we'll look at this morning, I've titled, The Father's Glory. We see Jesus speak here, My soul is troubled. Verse 27, What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The weight of this climactic week, knowing the violent death that Jesus was going to die, it weighs heavy on Jesus. You ever have something ahead of you that's weighing heavy on you? You might have one right now. A meeting, a task, a work project, a family reunion. Like, oh, when we get through it, right? But here, far bigger than that, Jesus has the literal weight of the entire world on his shoulders. Can you imagine? You know you're going to be crucified. The world that he came to save is on his shoulders. And Jesus expresses that his soul is troubled. And we would say in our minds, well, of course. He knows he's going to be crucified. He's walking right into the trap. All of us would have collapsed long before the cross. We wouldn't have made it that week. We'd have fallen out. But the power of Jesus is displayed in so many ways, even as he carries weight. His sinless perfection. It's all part of his divinity, his incarnation. That he's allowed to carry, by the grace of God, unimaginable weight, unimaginable pressure. And by the way, in doing the will of God, sometimes, brother and sister, your soul is going to be troubled. Did you know that? Say that? Sometimes doing God's will will trouble your soul. You would think, well, that's only, that should only be if, if I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing. No. Doing God's will can trouble our soul. Jesus was sinless. He was perfect, but his soul was troubled. It's not easy to walk the path God gives us, is it? If it was easy, everybody would do it. Not easy. If Jesus' soul is troubled, you can better believe ours will at times be troubled even for godly reasons. Uh You ever been troubled by what you see in the sin of the world? 
You ever see kids die in the streets of Chicago or whatever, and you say, Lord, this troubles my soul? You ever see people divorce, and you see the kids ripped in part? You ever see, Lord, this troubles my soul? Uh Of course. The word troubled in the Greek, it means to take away the calmness of mind. Take away the calmness of mind. We've all been there. We looked quite a bit um, this past Wednesday at the fact that uh, David, there in the 23rd, 23rd Psalm, he says, Lord, he restores my soul. Restores the soul. We need that because the strains and the battles and the difficulty and the workload and the busyness and the warfare and the demands of life, they weigh heavy on us, don't us? Don't they? And they sap our energy and they sap our spiritual strength even. Yet we have the knowledge. This is, we talked a lot about this on Wednesday. We have the knowledge. Go back and listen to Wednesday if you haven't. That the Lord himself purposely leads us into valleys. We thought he was going to lead us to just fields of bliss. Christian bliss. With nothing but worship music playing in all directions. Well, he leads us into valleys, even valleys of death. In Jesus' case, it's not just a valley of death. It is death. It's not even a valley of death. Death on the cross. But Jesus says, how, how could I... How could I not endure this hour? It's for this purpose I came. How could Jesus bypass this hour? The fact that his soul is troubled, well, that's the way to the mission. Not a proof point to end the mission. Let me say that again, because this will help you in your own life. The fact that his soul is troubled is part of the mission, not a proof to end the mission. To call it off. Because if he calls it off, we all spend eternity in hell. Mm-hmm. If he calls off, he says, oh, too much. I continue to learn that truth that no matter what we go through, it's not a proof to give up on the mission, but to stay and look up so we can stay in the mission. Amen? Not to give up on the mission, to look up to the Lord who gave us the mission. Now Jesus, he could plead with the Father. He's saying hypothetically, my relationship with the Father is so strong and I'm so sinless, hypothetically. But he doesn't, he's not going to do that. Why? Because even though he has the supreme relationship with God the Father, he knows the love and the will of the Father already. And he knows why he was sent. And he explains, again, we talked about last week when he said the first time, the Son of Man, uh, the hour has come for the Son of Man. And here he says that this hour, we talked about this last week, that this hour being this specific week, he has submitted himself to an undeserved death. And this undeserved death is the express reason and purpose that he came to the earth, that he came to Jerusalem, that he came to this Passover week. This is the express purpose that he came to Bethlehem, grew up, and at the age of 30, preaches for three years, all to land at this hour. Amen? Amen. 
everything was leading to this hour, this week, this time. And then he prays, Father, glorify your name. You can almost see the picture of Jesus there in the temple, that magnificent, ancient wonder of the world, the massive. He's standing there in the temple, and I could see him just his hands up, looking up into heaven, praying, Father, glorify your name. Now, Jesus had prayed in the presence of the disciples, in the presence of people on numerous occasions, but this time, God immediately answers back. Like, not just that Jesus hears it, everyone around there hears it. We talked about, uh, again on Wednesday, that the entire path, go back to the 23rd Psalm, just six verses. Short little, short little passage that everyone, most a lot of people can quote. In the 23rd Psalm, the whole context of it is walking through this world with the help of Jesus, our shepherd, or the Lord is our shepherd, we now know in the New Testament, it's Jesus himself. But, it's all, as David says there, for your name's sake. Right? For your name's sake. The whole, the whole of your life is for the namesake of God. And Jesus knew that his entire life was for the glory of the Father. Even the brutal death that he would die, all of that is that his Father would be glorified. Understand that all of creation... And there's some beautiful parts of creation. I've been to some beautiful places on this earth. You look at creation itself, the creation of mankind, the call of Israel as a nation. When it wasn't a nation, God birthed this nation out of a man named Abraham who was born in Ur of the Chaldeans. But the call of Israel, the creation of mankind, the creation itself, all these things were ordained, and I would add, they all failed to glorify God as they should have. Amen? They've all failed to glorify God because of sin and the imperfection. But no one glorifies God the Father like the Son. Amen? No one glorifies. And Jesus never fails. He always only glorifies the Father. Everything he did glorified the Father. He never fails like everything else has. And he wants to glorify the Father Fulfilling the Father's will. And Jesus is coming here to present himself. His prayer is a presentation of himself. Just like we're to present ourselves a living sacrifice, he's presenting himself to the Father as the sacrifice that will glorify the Father and fulfill the will of the Father. And this ushers in the fulfilling of God's will even before the foundation of the world of what Jesus proclaimed to Nicodemus back in John chapter 3, a verse other than the 23rd Psalm, probably the most well-known verse. There in the middle of the night to Nicodemus where Jesus said, God, he's explaining what the Father is doing in sending him. God so loved the world that he gave his son. And Jesus is saying, I am the gift that the Father has sent for the salvation of the world. And all of this is going to glorify God because it's God's plan. And God's plan will never fail. And Jesus will not fail to fulfill the plan of God. And all of this will bring glory not only to the Father, but the Son as well. But Jesus, his prayer to the Father, because his soul is troubled, but he also knows 
that by the end of the week, he'll be saying, it is finished. And he knows that he's going to rise from the dead and the glorification of God and the gospel itself and the word and the apostolic movement and the church, all of those things, they all kick into motion. And his prayer to the Father brings an immediate response. As God literally, audibly answers, here's Jesus in Jerusalem, which will someday where his throne will be. Remember we talked about his feet didn't touch the Mount of Olives coming down because he was on a donkey, but someday they'll touch and split the Mount of Olives in two. Here he stands in the same temple that someday will be his throne, Mount Zion there. And he prays and God thunders back. Look what it says. It said that a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And it says there where the people heard it and it had thundered and others said an angel has spoken to him. They heard the voice. They heard the thunder. They didn't know what to make of it. But this is the third time that God the Father audibly testifies on behalf of his son and on behalf of himself. Here they are, all three on the screen. First was at his baptism at the Jordan River. This is my son, with whom I am well pleased. The second time was on Mount of Transfiguration. Peter and the apostles, let's build tabernacles for Moses and Elijah. And God said, no, this is my son, hear him, him only. Moses and Elijah are just they're just servants to Jesus. They're not his equal. And then now finally here in the temple, final Passover, days before the cross, God thunders from heaven. I can imagine just shaking that massive structure, the voice of God thundering. He says a lot too. I have both glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Everything he's done through Jesus has already been glorifying the Father. He's done it. Well, first of all, I can speak to the first two testimonies, back to the Jordan River and the Mount of Transfiguration, but it would speak to everything Jesus has done in his ministry has already been glorifying the Father. But God says, this is not just a repeating witness, because what's going to come is the culmination. It's the explosion of the plan of God that has the ripple effect we're still feeling today, which is the gospel is going to go forward. So this isn't just a repeating witness, but it's an affirmation. It's an increase. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it like you've never seen before by, he doesn't give a time frame, but we now know by the end of the week, and then all the way through the end of the age. And the people hear it. And some may be denying what they heard. It was unmistakable. It was exactly punctuating Jesus' prayer. Then God speaks. And many hearers of Jesus, well, before now, uh, all through in his ministry, were able to ignore the evidence that God provided again and again and again. If you're taking notes, let's look at point number two this morning. The son's sacrifice. So the people hear it. Some think it's thunder. Some think it's an angel has spoken. Jesus speaking in verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sakes. 
Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples, plural, to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Verse 30 underscores, because Jesus says these words, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. This underscores that people may very well have heard precisely what God had just said. It's possible that everyone there here heard verbatim God speak from heaven and they still resisted. I told, in the first service, this, is, this would not be unprecedented. Adam and Eve talked to God every day and still said, thanks but no thanks. The serpent, we're going to follow his voice. It boggles the mind, but we would have done it too. So it's possible that everyone heard Jesus said, this was just for your ears, your sake. And then later in the week, the same people that are standing there could hear the voice of God commend his son and still cry out for his crucifixion by the end of the week. Wow. Which every bit of evidence, God speaking, Jesus speaking, makes them more and more accountable. And for anyone here watching online, out the, corner, the more times you hear the gospel and don't respond to it, you become more accountable. You'll have less to say, well, I, if I'd have known, I'd have done. You know, God's like, I gave you Lots of opportunities. Verse 31. Now, by the way, uh, real quick. It is possible, also, there are scholars that have different views on what was heard here. So just um, a parenthetical uh, kind of statement here. It's, it is possible that only soft hearts heard exactly what God said. And everybody else just heard thunder. There was something similar to Paul on the road to Damascus where some just heard a loud sound and Paul literally hears Jesus speaking to him. So God could speak and shut some ears and other ears hear it exactly. So that is entirely possible as well. We don't know. I'm just simply, Jesus said it was for your sake. So all of those are possibilities. We'll find out. But Jesus goes on in verse 31. And he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out if I am lifted up and the earth will draw all peoples to myself. So he could, goes on here in verse 31. Jesus is saying that he will accomplish in his death, what he'll accomplish in his death, is going to bring a subsequent judgment into the world that will eventually cast out the ruler of this world. The ruler of this world right now is not Xi Jinping. It's not Joe Biden. It's not Vladimir Putin. The ruler of this world is the unseen force of Satan himself. He's behind the darkness. He's behind the mayhem. He's behind all of it. Now, people are still guilty of their own sins. You cannot say, well, the devil made me do it because... We do a lot of things just of our own flesh. But he exacerbates all situations to the nth degree, right? right? If there's a small fire, he can turn it into a forest fire. And that's what he does. He fans the flame of evil. 
And Jesus knows this. He, remember, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness being buffeted by Satan, tried to keep him from ever doing the ministry in the first place. But the ruler's going to be cast out. Jesus is only a matter of time. Jesus said in that same John chapter 3 discussion, I put up on the screen a few minutes ago, John 3.16, but he said in that same discussion with Nicodemus and John 3.17, these words, he said to Nicodemus, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So hold on, Jesus, if you're going to bring judgment and cast out the judgment, uh, cast out the ruler of this world, but you didn't come to condemn the world, what are you saying? Well, here's the facts. The world, when Jesus came into Bethlehem, born of a virgin, when he enters and he breaks into time and space and takes on the form of a man, when Jesus came to the world, the world and every sinner was already under condemnation. The world was already guilty. The world was already under con- He didn't come to say, you're guilty. The world was already guilty. In other words, the Father didn't send Jesus to check and see if the world was guilty. He sent Jesus because the world is guilty. Amen. Amen. Right? He didn't go find out if they need a Savior. No, you're going because they need a Savior. <laughs> he sent Jesus because the world was guilty and already under condemnation. The sentence of death had already fallen. Of course, mankind didn't even know. You meet people today that they don't know they need Jesus. Mm-hmm. They think they're pretty good. They compare themselves to this guy or that guy or this gal or that girl. They look pretty good. They're like, how could I possibly need anything? It's going to make it to the end of my life, whatever that is. But the sentencing... You know, when we, when we think of a trial in our lifetime, we think of a trial, uh, you have a prosecutor and you have a defendant, right? And you have the facts of the case, and they're trying to determine, is there guilty or is this an innocent charge? <laughs> Everything at the end of the age, the great white throne judgment, God already knows He's not needing anyone. He's not going to say, hey, can you all give me your evidence? He's not asking for anyone's evidence. He already knows everyone's guilty under the law. The end of the age is simply sentencing phase. Does that make sense? He already knows the whole world's guilty. That's why he sent his son. The sentencing, the judgment will come at the end. But the completed mission of Jesus, it's going to start the clock for a period of grace, which we call the age of grace. We're in it right now. But it ends in judgment, starting with the seven-year tribulation. If you go back to the prophecy teaching, the seven-year tribulation will ultimately culminate in Satan, the angels, fallen angels being cast in the lake of fire, and the great white throne judgment. All that would come, but it comes, all that will come after the cross and after the resurrection. And yes... This world absolutely has a present ruler. We've already established that. And Satan is still deceiving people. He's still deceiving people. He's still convincing people of lies. And they don't know. Or they don't care. And I've had people tell me both. People either don't know or don't care that they're following Satan straight into hell. Because I've had people tell me, well, if it is, if there is a hell... I was having a really good time there. Really? Have you visited? Is this an eyewitness account? 
Or is this just something that you have made up or you heard someone else? Because Jesus gives an eyewitness account and it's a man in torment. Because he can actually tell you exactly what that scene looks like. And remember Jesus, then you have this, the fact that everyone really is, until you come into the adoption of the Father by salvation, we have a different Father. Jesus told the Pharisees, you're of your Father what? The devil. Right, right, right. I know that a lot of people in America don't believe any of this stuff anymore, but yet they believe in really goofy other things. So, uh, but this has never changed. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And again, uh, the corruption of sin and of this world and the state of the souls of mankind, that has been the case ever since Adam and Eve chose to disregard God and eat of the tree. And from that day, the whole world's been guilty ever since. David said, I am conceived in sin. It's not like, well, you became guilty when you did your first sin. When was that? Well, that first time I snuck something and mom didn't see. No, no, you were born in sin. Born into the condemnation. Now, Satan, what he's done in the last 6,000 years, he's convinced millions and millions of people to join him in his future torment. He's convinced many people to follow him down that path. But God. But God. Amen? But God, way back, way back then, all the way back to the garden, you know there was an animal sacrifice right there. They were covered with animal skins. Way back in the garden, even then, exactly then, starting then, God promised a rescue plan. Aren't you glad that he did? He promised a rescue plan that would save the souls of mankind and permanently eliminate Satan when, when God says, that's, that's his last day on the earth. That's coming. Jesus will cast him out. And that plan of God, that rescue plan, which is a multifaceted plan, that plan is completely dependent on Jesus going to the cross. 100% dependent on Jesus going to the cross. That's why he said this hour has come. If this hour doesn't come, this plan doesn't come to fruition. Of course, it's going to come to fruition because if God says it, it's going to happen. Right, right. But Jesus is simply saying this is the hour to bring it all to that crescendo, if you will. And paradoxically, the cross proclaims both the nature and the penalty of our sin because it's so torturous and so you don't even, don't even want to look at it. Because it was tormenting for Jesus because it expresses that sin has to be punished if there is suffering involved, but it also points to the escape from that penalty because Jesus was willing to take on our suffering. Amen? Amen? Take on, it was like hell on the cross for him, for us. In other words, the cross, what we do with the cross, Jesus is speaking to a real group of people. They're having to digest this and do something with it toss it to the side, or say, please help me understand this. 
In other words, the cross, what we do with it, will become the plumb line. What every person does with the cross, the plumb line, as to whether a soul is judged innocent by the blood of Jesus or guilty of rejecting the blood of Jesus. That's it. There's not a third way. There's not a, uh, well, I'd like an asterisk by my options. In verse 32 and 33, Jesus makes crystal clear that his hour of great trouble will culminate by his death and specifically crucifixion. Look there at verses 32 and 33. Um, if I am lifted up from the earth, this, and then I will draw all peoples to myself, this he said signifying by what death he would die. He states plainly that he will be lifted up or hoisted up, and but in doing so, it's going to result in peoples, nations, plural, coming to him. The Greek word here, for all, all peoples. He says, I will, I will draw all peoples. The Greek word for the word all there. It's a pretty cool word. Uh, it actually can mean individually and collectively simultaneously. That makes sense? Individually and collectively simultaneously. Think about it like this. Uh, the collective means, and actually the, 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 um, the collective part of that meaning it means some of all types. Isn't that pretty cool? Jesus said, I will call some of all types to myself. That's all nations, all tongues, all tribes, all skin tones, you name it. Amen? Amen. That's what he's saying. Some of all types will come to me. And we know that Jesus saves individually, but into a body collectively. And so that little Greek word captures all of that connotation right there into the collective body of Christ and we will in fact be from all tribes, all tongues, all nations all skin tones all that but the cross and to the utter shock of the enemies of Jesus and he had a lot of enemies the cross and to the utter shock of the enemies of Jesus is going to bring, and they don't know this yet, Jesus knows this, that's why he's saying it. He said, when you lift me up, I'm going to draw people from all over the planet to me. To the utter shock of them, putting Jesus on the cross is going to bring way more people to him than if he had never gone to the cross. Isn't that interesting? I mean, that was what the Roman centurions, like, he was the, well, the him, and the, him and the thief on the cross, two unlikely candidates were immediately said, this really is God's son. Putting Jesus on the cross, they would have thought, no one will believe in him now because we killed. And immediately, one of the guys that was heading up, he had to be crucified under the Roman centurion and says, I know he's the son of God now. But that will be just the beginning. That's the tip of the iceberg. Millions. Everyone in this room has been saved. We've been saved because he went to the cross. Amen. And he, Jesus is saying, this is prophetic. Mark it down. Many will come to me because you guys put me on the cross. Those in his presence, they know he's speaking of crucifixion. You can see their answer. They, the people answer, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? They know he's speaking of crucifixion, and they remind Jesus, hey, time out, time out. The Tanakh, the Old Testament, the law and prophets say that the Christ lives forever. How can you be lifted up on a Roman cross? Hence, in their 
understand the Messiah can't die. No, Messiah has to die, but he can't stay dead. He has to rise up. They're forgetting Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, other places that clearly say that he was pierced for our sorrows, our sins. And then they refer back to verse 23. Look at verse 23, which is the same chapter, but this was last week's. They're referring back to verse 23, which we were at a week ago, where Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Jesus says, He's going to be glorified. And this week we read, His Father's going to be glorified. But He speaks of Himself as the Son of Man. And they refer back to, because they're still in the same conversation. We split last week and this week into two teachings, but it's really the same conversation. They say, who is the Son of Man? Which is a ridiculous question because Jesus has answered this a thousand different ways a thousand different times. Amen? This is a, um, it almost reminds me, um, uh, there was a little funny clip several years ago this little boy, Mateo, and he was like saying all this different stuff. And he, it's kind of like, look over here and look over here and all this stuff. And they know exactly what Jesus is saying. And they want him to start all over again. So who is the Son of Man? He doesn't even answer the question. Let's pick it up for our, our final point. Uh, look what he says. Then he said to them, a little while longer. <laughs> he doesn't say, let me tell you who the Son of Man is. Because... This point has already been well understood. The Son of Man is the Son of God who came as a man. Make sense? The Son of Man is the Son of God who came as a man. The people answer, who is Son of Man? Jesus picks it up in verse 38. Uh, Our last point, if you're taking notes. Did I put that up there? There we go. The people's decision... Then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. He doesn't answer the Son of Man question. That's well established. You guys are just trying to make vain arguments. A little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons or daughters. And actually, the sons there is inclusive of female and male. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Once again, this has been the case many times with Jesus and those that are sincerely trying to figure out if he really is God's son and those that are just playing games and his detractors and and flat out enemies trying to kill him. But once again, all the people that are there that have not yet decided to believe in Jesus, they are all at a fork in the road. I got this up on the screen. And the fork in the road is the same as it is today. Believe in Jesus or anything else. That's it. Jesus or anything. And and the world likes anything else because that list is long. Whatever you want it to be. You want this religion created 700 years ago? If you want this religion that was created 10 days ago. Whatever you come up with. Whatever you want to be. Whatever you think you are. Whatever you think. It doesn't matter to the world. And Satan will tell you, look... Jesus is pretty, he's okay, but all this other stuff's equal to him. You don't really need him. Any of these other things will do just fine. Mm-hmm. And if you have worries about the afterlife and stuff, I'll give you something that'll, that'll pacify any concerns you have about that. Mm-hmm. 
Everyone comes to this fork in the road. Amen? It's either believe by faith in Jesus and his definitive word and his sacrifice, which no one else made a sacrifice. None of the other world religion leaders died for your sins. Or we can assume that what we or anyone else comes up with is valid and equal to what Jesus has said. Now Jesus, he's not there in the temple. He's not there in the temple to debate, but to deliver. Not there to debate them. He's there to deliver the truth of God and to deliver souls from their sins and from their current state of deception. And by the way, this is great for you and I to know. When we talk to people today, if we just follow the footsteps of Jesus, we are not there to debate them. We are there to deliver the gospel. Now, Jesus has a, has a, a level of deliverance that we don't have. We can only deliver the gospel. He can deliver the gospel and deliver their souls. You see the big difference? Yeah. We have this tiny bit of his footsteps to follow, and ours is just to simply deliver the same message. If it gets re- received, it goes straight up to him who then delivers their soul. If it gets rejected, it goes back to him who will judge them on the end, at the end of the age. But our pro, ours, ours just to deliver, he delivers the message here, but also can deliver the soul itself from deception. They may be confused. Let's say that they were being honest about their confusion about, hey, the, the Messiah isn't supposed to die. They may be confused about what was written in the Word. But now they had the Word made flesh in their midst, explaining to them the Scriptures. He had been teaching these things. Uh, He was the light, illuminating the darkness of their understanding. Everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus is, is light and truth. Those are two of his names, light and truth. What was hiding in plain sight in the law and in the prophets was now being fully revealed in himself. All the scriptures on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, he would say, all the scriptures speak of him. Remember, all the leaders, they wanted him dead. All the leaders, well, except for maybe Nicodemus and maybe a couple others at this time, but the leaders wanted him dead. And remember that these leaders, who were supposed to be spiritual giants of their time, they had not healed anybody. They hadn't miraculously fed anybody. They hadn't raised anyone from the dead. There was no voice from heaven confirming their ministries. Happened three times with Jesus. All Jesus had ever done is he walked around as a peasant because he didn't have any money or anything. Healed and delivered to thousands of people. Cast out demons from thousands of people. Faithfully taught gave his constant time, attention, energy. Even when he was exhausted, he would still preach. Never asking for money, never asking for wealth, never asking for power, never asking for possessions. Jesus could have spoke a kingdom into existence. He could have spoke a castle into existence. He could have spoke an army into into existence. He didn't do any of those things. He only came to pour out his life. He did ask one thing, though. He asked... Anyone who heard him to believe in him and turn from their sins. That's what he, he didn't ask him for money. He didn't ask him for a place in political office. He, not, he said, the one thing I'm asking you is believe in me and turn from your sins. Anyone that didn't believe in him also didn't turn from their sins. 
And to see all the evidence of Jesus, his life, his miracles, his ministry, his compassion, his authority, to see all of this and then totally ignore and reject him and reject the gospel. Well, it's like looking at the brightness and the warmth of the sun that you see rise every day. You look at the sun rising and setting in the west and you just refuse, say, I refuse to believe that's the sun. I believe that that is a grapefruit. It's a big wheel of cheese. It's um, a plate. It's something, but it's not the sun. You might say, well, that analogy is just way over the top. That's just ridiculous. But it's really not. It's not. People will believe an article that they read to, you can give someone, hey, I've read this article. They don't know the author. They don't know the fact. And they'll pass on something. You've got to read this. This is true. They know nothing about the subject matter and they believe it immediately. Jesus, who said he would only be with them. He's the light he's speaking of. He's only going to be with them for a short time. He displayed infinitely. Let me give you this understanding. He displayed infinitely more evidence that he was the son of God than I could ever display to you guys that I am the son of Jan and Bob, which I am. And you've not met. Infinitely more evidence. Next week I have a graphic that's going to show that because we've got to finish the 12th chapter and I think there's this one point I hopefully will, really will drive it home but that the, the complete no, they weren't blind. They're blind like this. When you close your eyes, you might as well be blind, right? If you say, that's it. For the next year, I am not opening my eyes because everything I see, I don't like seeing, so I'm going to drive I'm with my eyes closed. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to do everything. You will not live through the end of the year. You can do it to prove the point, but by next week, you're gone from earth. We know this. And Jesus, all of the evidence was there. John said at the close of the book, when you go to the end of the book of John, chapter 21, he said all the books of the world couldn't contain all the things that he did. I mean, the evidence was overwhelming. It's precisely why throngs were gathering to wave the palm. Why do you think that there was thousands upon thousands of people? It was well known that he had raised the dead, that he healed. Many of those people waving had used to be demon-possessed themselves or were former lepers. or that's, that's the group. Thousands of them saying, and yet some of them wanted to crucify him by the end of the week. It's, it's, it's stunning. Uh, but just like Adam and Eve, going back to them again, they were in total perfection and they chose a lie. And here the total perfection is standing in the presence of everyone and they'll choose the lie over the total perfection standing with them. Do you see that? In the Garden of Eden, the whole place was perfection, and they chose a lie. Here, the whole place is imperfection, but the only one perfect was Jesus, and they chose the imperfection. It's like the inverse of the same all over again. You get perfect, and people say, I don't want perfect, I want sin. And that's what, ha that's what was happening here. It takes place in the heart. And the, the unmistakable light of the world was with them. They had the light. To, say, to call it anything but the light that came from heaven was to completely be in denial. Jesus says himself, John 15, 22, If I had not come and spoken to them, 
They would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. They literally have hardened their hearts because I came and literally did miracle after miracle. They heard God speak from heaven. They said, we need, we need some kind of proof. Unbelievable. Jesus is saying here, he says, don't let the darkness overtake you. Run from the darkness of sin. Run from the darkness of unbelief, pride, apathy, grasping for this vapor of a life which people are trying to hold on to, embracing the lives of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees hated people. Why would you follow guys that hate people? Pharisees hated people. Or any other man-made religion that's out there. Verse 36, which is our closing verse, and we're going to look more at this verse next week because this verse closes this section, but it's also the impetus of the next section. So it's kind of, it's the heavy link in, in two parts of the chain here. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become son of the light, these things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. We'll look more at this again next week, but Jesus is offering to anyone that's there and anyone now that's in darkness to become a son or daughter of the light of God. To go from the kingdom of darkness, the ruler of this age, remember he mentioned the ruler of this age, you're either under that kingdom, I want to bring you out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light, adopted by God the Father, to be a son or daughter of the light, which heaven will be perfect, no darkness, all light, no sin. His light of salvation will come in. The evidence is overwhelming that Jesus is the light of the world, that he is the Son of God, that he's the only Savior of mankind, but the evidence doesn't guarantee faith. It can only lead us to faith. And we say that again, the evidence can't guarantee faith, the evidence leads us to faith. You might be here and say, well, we don't have the evidence of Jesus walking and talking with us and here in 2022. No, we have the lamp of God's Word. We have the light and evidence of the Word of God. The Word is a lamp. Let me close with this. I was listening uh, recently to a Scottish pastor and professor. And it's this whole thing about evidence. God requires faith. You cannot, everyone is going to have to exercise faith. The just to live by faith. By faith you have been saved. Not of works, right? You get grace and you get evidence but it has to, the grace and evidence that God gives have to be received by faith. You have to say, Lord, I believe. Everything Jesus said here. While you have the light, believe in the light. You can either believe or not believe. To believe is faith. To not believe is say. And I've had people say, I don't have enough faith to believe in Jesus. I'm like, that's the only faith that you can ever escape the judgment to come. Is to believe in Jesus. But this Scottish professor, he was talking about evidence and... And he was talking about how he'd been married for over 50 years now. Uh, and he was positive that his wife loved him. Positive that his wife loved him. And he said, I could show you evidence after evidence after evidence that my wife loves me. Plus I have the relationship with her to know that she loves me. He goes, but guess what I can't do for you? I cannot show it to you in a lab. I cannot give you some physics or biology experiment that you can say, because a lot of people say, well, if you can show me, God's like, I have shown it to you in so many ways, you're going to have to take the step of faith. Amen. God doesn't prove it in a lab. He proved it on the cross. Amen. Amen? Amen. On the cross. 
That is where he proved it. That's his personal witness. And then now we have the relationship. So when you tell someone, you, any more than I can convince people that my wife loves me, I can't convince them that Jesus loves me. Say, that is a relationship. And that relationship was born because of the cross. And so it is with Jesus. We believe in him that he really is the light, the lamb, and our living Savior. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again for your word. And Lord, we pray that your word would have its perfect way in us. Lord, those of us that know you, Lord, even the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, we have the light in us, but Lord, we want the roots of faith to grow deeper. Because the rule of this world is still here, and he's still pressing against us, and he still troubles our soul at times. And our soul gets troubled just because of the weight of the mission. But Lord, we pray that as our faith grows, the work of the Spirit would grow in us. But Lord, there's also some here that maybe have never exercised that step of faith to believe on the name of Jesus. And Lord, if there's anyone here in that condition, I pray that you would speak now to their hearts and convict them to call upon the name of the Lord. Before we close in worship, is there even one person here that says, that's me. I have never put my faith and trust in Jesus. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. I don't want to take for granted. Everybody has. If there's even one, I want to pray with you. For all of us, if, you're, if you know the Lord, thank Him for the light of the gospel. Thank Him for the light of His words. And Lord, help me to grow in this. This faith that you planted in me, may it grow that I would be the father of you that presents the truth. He's the one that we deliver the truth to people, but God is the one that brings the increase. Amen? That we'd be lights and witnesses of him.